Hello, uh, Madfest. It's the Meaningful Media Podcast in front of a live studio audience here on the DigiAd stage at Madfest. We are out of the studio and excited to be here. I have with me three very special guests who I'm going to introduce a moment. But first, let's set up the episode. So, we're going to be discussing today, we're going to be connecting the, the festival's big theme of riders of the storm, the macro reality facing consumers, brands and citizens with the need for and consumer desire for responsible advertising. To do this, we're bringing together leading industry voices. It's Jake Dubbins, founder of the Conscious Advertising Network. He insists on being introduced like that in his rider. Uh, there's also other stuff on there. Boy, howdy, you should see it. We got Hannah Mizer, uh, who is the founder of the Responsible Marketing Agency. We have Laura Wade, Global Head of Sustainability Strategy at Essence Mediacom. Give it up for this fantastic paddle. Amazing. Thank you. So Hannah, we're going to come to you first. How are brands thinking about responsible advertising? What what does it mean and, and what kind of action are they taking? Set that up for us, please. If we start with the governance layer, it's all about brand safety. It's about uh, how we use data. It's how we think about being ethical in the use of data. It's making sure we have the right context and um, and layers of kind of uh, kind of governance in place to make sure we're doing the right things. And then what I think, you know, we've spent a lot of money and time and energy getting to the place in our industry where we've got this responsible baseline. And in the last few years, we've now got people talking about what are the things that are going to raise the ceiling? And we're getting into the social, we're getting into the environmental side of responsible marketing. And so the, on the environmental side, it's a lot of talk and, uh, and kind of ambition around uh, carbon de- decarbonisation across the uh, supply chain of media and marketing. And then on the social side, we're thinking a lot about inclusion and diversity and how we are having true reach with our marketing efforts and making sure that uh, when we're buying reach, we're actually reaching all pockets of society, even the niche pockets, even the um, the kind of people that aren't necessarily consuming mainstream media. So this is this whole kind of inclusion versus exclusion thing with targeting, right? Or is that something different? I think it's that, absolutely. So, Jake, we're going to come to you now. Broaden this out for us. Like, why does it matter to be responsible? You you and your uh, you and your co-founder Harriet set up the can to to help make effective change for the industry and address some of these issues. Talk us through what you found. Talk us through why it matters. I think um, you know we in advertising often live in a bubble. We talk about sort of sitting in a, a, an ivory tower in advertising, uh, and I think that we don't often enough look outside into society into. Uh, you know, what is actually going on around us and, and our influence on that, you know, both in terms of what we fund through advertising and our media, but also the fact that we are architects of desire and the drivers of the consumption economy. Uh, I think, you know, one of the things that we try and do is bring together a big tent and bring together civil society groups, activists, uh, climate scientists, social cohesion scientists, all sorts of different people to really bring um, a bit of perspective uh, into advertising. And, you know, why it matters, I set up, well, part of the reason why I set up the Conscious Advertising Network was uh, I met uh, Harriet, but a couple of months before that, um, my neighbour had been badly beaten up in East London uh, in a racist attack in a pub. Uh, landlord was also beaten up as well. Oh, so I kind of, not, I didn't witness it, but I sort of saw firsthand the aftermath of that and, and sort of wondered what was going on and where that sort of uh, racist hate came from. Um, 
And then the latest, you know, figures from the well-known hippies at the uh, at the Home Office uh, as uh, have demonstrated that hate crime against, you know, based on race, on on sexuality, on on gender, is is climbing massively um, in in the, in the last year. So, you know, and we fund the information ecosystem. We fund, you know, uh, the platforms. We fund media. We fund, you know, pretty much everything. And it, and it's an investment as well as a driver for brand you know, brand awareness, sales, brand sentiment, the long and short of it and everything that we talk about. So I think it's really important to look at, you know, what our media, what our investments, what our advertising is 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 funding. And also, obviously, on that, you know, that massive problem that isn't spoken enough about, I know we are talking more and more, but climate. Uh, and I always kind of say this sentence and sort of, I'm always shocked that people aren't sort of running around waving their hands around because... You know, the IPCC, the well-known uh, you know, body that represents scientists around the world, uh, came out at the beginning of the year saying that uh, we are facing a rapidly uh, closing window to secure a uh, livable and sustainable future for all. So, yeah, that is all of us. That's our kids, that's our families and so on. And we fund at scale climate misinformation. You know, we're also guilty of or have been guilty of greenwashing. Uh, and also, you know, we're working on behalf of high carbon industries. So, you know, all of this stuff means that we have to reckon, recognize our influence, recognize our role and in, the, in what is actually happening out there. So I think we'll, we'll maybe broaden the, the, the conversation into sort of issues of trust washing more generally as we go on. But I want to I take something from, from what you're saying and then, Hannah, how you started us uh, off obviously advertisers brands are doing lots of work around building frameworks but jake you're saying there's a, a specific imperative around uh, the investment um the, the, there's a more active role uh, perhaps that that brands and and folk in the industry can play yeah definitely i think i think we can you know these are investments these are choices that we can make and for a long time you know we have relied a little bit too much on what the machines can do and what the machines can optimize towards and I think there's a, a bit of a return to sort of good old media planning. Now, both in terms of... Oh, controversial. I know, right? In terms of the investment... Media planning, Jay. Uh, yeah, but we're... Yeah, uh, maybe programmatic not being the solution to all is ne not necessarily it's a... Like, it's a, like AI, AI now, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I think that we have a role to play in both creating uh, the sort of information ecosystem and news agenda that we want to see. So investing in great quality news, great quality journalism, diverse voices, pluralistic um, media, but also making sure that we are recognising the threat of monetized and weaponized climate misinformation, hate speech, uh, and everything in between. So Laura, I'm going to come to you now. You're, you're a leader in this industry, in this space, uh, in thinking around making effective change. Mm -hmm. Can you talk us through maybe a little bit about your journey and then how folks should feel and, and what they can do? Yeah, um, I suppose my journey was very much, my journey was very much, um, to Jake's point, I was looking at trends, I worked in content and innovation, and I was looking at the trends in society and what was happening in culture, and it was just really obvious um, that the biggest change is sort of the ecological um, crisis alongside the climate crisis, alongside constant social crisis, and it was like, how how do I square this with what I'm doing and what I'm talking about at work? So I actually actively pitched uh, to my CEO and said, I think the future of our, our industry needs to change and I think we need to be driving a new narrative and a new agenda. Um, and luckily he agreed. So off I went. I went and studied a uh, short course at Cambridge and then came back 
with a business plan and have gradually moved into my role and and really sort of advocated for change uh, within the agency but also within the industry as well and and yes there's a lot of talking at the moment there's a lot of conversations but I'm really hoping this is the year of action. I think I think we can all agree with that and and one of the reasons that I think you're such a wonderful panel to have on is Jay, you talked about how we're often a little bit of a bubble in the industry, right? It feels like if you go to events, every other panel sometimes is talking about these big issues. Rightly so, because there's conversations that need to be had and there's changes that need to be made. But the three of you are actually examples or, um, uh, or, or you know, actually developing ways of changing the industry. Um, Hannah, you, you've, you know, you founded an agency, you've done a lot of work with, uh, I also believe, sort of brands on, on creating these frameworks. Um, you heard from Laura there how you know she's sort of been a bit of a, an, in, an entrepreneur on, um, and, and created a, a new role. And Jake uh, bringing us together with civil society groups. So I think breaking out of the bubble is is, is an important one to take there. Um, so I'm going to come back to you now to ask. We we talked a lot about the urgent change needed, and again, you know, the the big theme of Madfest is riders of the storm. You know, inflation all of these challenges uh, but all of these opportunities have to say that work in work in marketing <laughs> but coming back to challenges what's the biggest issue in advertising right now Hannah going to come to you first on that one yeah so um for me like I've been lucky enough recently to be working with the WFA on the creation of an action guide to reduce media uh, greenhouse gas emissions. It was released at Cannes. It got a lot of coverage um, in the US press, but I don't think it's as well known in the UK yet. And um, what I love about this and what I think it's doing to address the biggest challenge is moving us from talking about an issue to taking action on an issue. So if you haven't uh, read the guide yet, please go and download it. It's free to everyone. What we do need to do in the sustainability space is have free and equitable access to the change that we need to make. And it addresses, you know, the big elephant in the room that we all need to start addressing, but we have to start eating bite by bite. And that is, what are the steps you can take? As consumers, we're starting to get conscious about um, the buying choices we make. And as businesses, we're in the business-to-business buying, you know, uh, marketplace. And so all the choices we make about all the supplies we work with can be pivoted to work with sustainable suppliers. And in particular, some suppliers aren't sustainable today and they need help on that journey. You know, for example, um, you know, we uh, we interviewed over 40 different contributors for the guide um, and there's some spaces where uh, you only have a choice of a couple of players. And so the role isn't to uh, stop buying with them, but to help those help those players navigate towards more sustainable solutions for you and give them a runway of time to do that. So the answer for the industry is it's a supply chain issue. That's where we're starting. Is, is it a supply chain issue? I, I'm going to say imagination. Okay. Because <laughs> um, I think we need to reinvent and reimagine what our industry stands for. So absolutely building on Hannah's points. They're, they're, they're foundational and they're building blocks. But I think if you th- we, like Jake's facts, we've known these facts for, for quite a few years now. We've, this is a reality. We, we can see the impact of what's happening around the world, you know, can, Canadian wildfires and what that had to, you know, our colleagues in New York sending sort of apocalyptic pictures of that. You know, anywhere around the world, you can look at any moment and find proof that climate crisis is here. So it's really 
sometimes stumps me personally about where's the urgency, where's the response? And I think really it's because we're all really busy, we're all at capacity and we're all doing what we do best. What we've learned in our careers for the last 10, 20 years was actually I think we need to take time and step back and have a bit more imagination about what we could actually do and how we can... We're not going to fix the problem with the same attitudes and behaviours that we've had for the last 10 or 20 years. We need to think differently. And that's, again, why diversity is so critical and why having different voices in the room, but also seeing it as a really exciting opportunity. Like, What do we stand for? What can we drive? And, and what can we test? And Yeah, let's try and do something completely different and surprise ourselves. I think, uh, yeah, just to build on that, I think it's about, uh, I guess... You know, partly bringing the outside in, but also examining our own values, examining our own, you know, um, our own consciences. I think one of the things that drives me personally is looking my kids in the eye. Um, they're currently 11 and 8, and I want to answer their questions directly when they ask, Dad, what did you do? Um, because this stuff is happening now, uh, far quicker than we thought it would. Um, I think, you know, building on Hannah's point, I think I completely agree that the, the building blocks are absolutely vital, but also to take people on a journey in our industry, that, that has to be based on good faith. Um, and there are plenty of good faith actors out there. And I completely agree with Laura that this should be the biggest opportunity for this industry that we've seen in a generation. You know, if you know, businesses like to plan based on certainty, right? And if there's one thing that's certain, it's going to be the climate crisis. Uh, and and it's, the question is, is what is it going to do, how bad is it going to get, but it's definitely happening and it's definitely coming. So that thing is certain. So that's a good thing for businesses because we can plan for it and actually put our shoulder to the wheel and actually work uh, on the opportunities that it brings. There is an inevitability, despite opposition voices trying to push back against net zero, that you know the net zero economy is coming. And I think that those that embrace that, those who skill up, those who understand the regulations, understand the opportunity and really drive you know creative power, media power at that opportunity, will do the best work that we've seen in a very long time. But it's definitely about you know who are the good actors that are genuine about that and taking them on that journey and partnering with them, but also questioning whether or not those that are not interested in meeting the goals of the Paris Climate Agreement, are we going to be involved in that? Because we're going to get answers, question, or we're going to get questioned in the future, not just by our kids, but by our peers and others about what did we do in this time. I think there's just building on that as well. I think the challenge is at the moment everyone's being quite polite and playing nicely and sort of making out that there's going to there's an opportunity for us all to be winners. But like you say, I think that's going to change. There are going to be have to be losers because we need radical rehaul of our industry. So actually, you need to start building yourself into a position where you can be one of the winners and you've, you know, you've, you've driven that change. Um, we're not all going to win in this situation. We can't because we can't maintain the status quo. Exactly. Uh, no creative destruction, you know, important part of capitalism <laughs> um, in, in that we have it now. Uh, so, yeah, I think, I think that's an important point is that there will be winners and, and there's such an opportunity for our industry. Jake, you started talking about how, you know, we're there, we, we're, we're kind of creators of culture in some ways. We, we, we take from culture a lot and we, we create, uh, you know, ultimately if um, this is going to sound very highfalutin for a podcast, but we're, we're kind of architects of desire, right? So we have a responsibility um, uh, within our industry to, to, to make this change. Exactly. And the question is, is are we going to take that responsibility seriously? 
uh, and commit to it? That's that's the major question for this industry. Again, like one of the reasons that we wanted to do this panel with you guys, this is quite an inward industry discussing episode for us. Normally we're talking about media, media experience, um, but we, you know, we wanted to do this uh, to to have that that kind of inward inward discussion, but also to to give examples of the change, right? So too often I think we we have these panels, we have these discussions, and we, we kind of throw out some truisms, and we all feel bad about it because rightly we should, but uh, we need to build a path forward. And again, the three of you, uh, and I'd encourage everyone to connect with these guys, check them out. Um, the, the three of them are creating paths forward. Um, so I want to, I want to kind of like broaden that, broaden this discussion out again a little bit and sort of talk about how um, let's get back to this kind of idea of inclusivity and our responsibility for funding a, a sort of media ecosystem. Here on the Meaningful Media podcast, we talk about media, we talk about the media ecosystem, we talk about something called media experience. So how do people feel about the media they're consuming? Uh, what are they watching, reading, listening to, etc.? Can you talk about uh, the opportunities and responsibilities we have in that space? Hannah, I'm going to come to you first in terms of uh, some of the work you've been doing with the WFA and some of the work you've done previously. Yeah, so, um, I mean, this one's hot topic for me is um, women's representation in sport and programming. If you started television programming or or broadcasting today on sport, would you have just 6% coverage for women's sport? It's absolutely astounding today that that's how much airtime women's sports get. Um, But we, we kind of continue this because... Uh, the women's sports compete for programming with the men's sports. The times are the same, you know, and there's just not the funding, there's not the coverage. We're in this catch-22. So if we think about diversity and inclusion in terms of representation in in the media and in programming and where advertisers are investing, unfortunately, there just isn't the opportunities. And we're in this um, kind of chicken-egg scenario where not just on women, um, but on LGBTQIA+, on multicultural, on um, you know, uh, positive age representation, on disability representation, there just isn't the content, there just isn't the, um, the kind of opportunity to put as much funding there as, as, as going to kind of other places. And I think it's about changing the support for um, owned and minority businesses to get that coverage out there, but it's also about changing the mainstream. And I think it's incumbent on all of us in the industry to be putting the pressure on on the producers, on the on the programs, on the um, the way our our meaning, media planning and buying takes place, um, and also really just forensically looking at what am I investing in, what am I spending on, and is it the right place, and is it truly representative of the diverse culture that we live in in the society of Britain? I myself am. am you know, Australian, but I've lived here for 20 years. I, I'm in a mixed-race um, uh, family. You know, my kids are mixed-race, my husband's Asian, but I don't see representation for them in mainstream media, and I don't see representation for a lot of my friends and colleagues in mainstream media still. And I think that's a, that's the big thing that I'd love to see change. Yeah, I, I, I think that the um, women in sport and that sort of number, that 6%, is just shows how radical again that we need to we need to be mm. and and you know i think also we need to look at ourselves and, and our cultural sort of upbringing and try and break those patterns you know like i'm a football fan i grew up playing football i'm a plymouth argyle fan actually so i've gr- grown up playing football and i always default just because i'm used to it to watching men's football my daughter has 
regularly said, Dad, why aren't we watching women's football? And I'm like, damn, yes, of course, right. And, and, and then purposefully gone and found, you know, when the next, you know, women's, you know, the Arsenal game's on, for example. And obviously we watched the, the, the women win the Euros. But I think it needs, like, so mainstreaming it, even, even those of us who kind of want to, exp- want to watch it and so on, but we're hardwired culturally not to because it wasn't part of our upbringing. I think it needs radical change and radical presence for, and leadership from, from broadcasters. I know brands are coming into it and spending money in it, but I think it needs to be much more radical, much quicker, so we see much more representation for not just you know our women and girls, but for men to look at that and, and to have women as their heroes uh, who score the, score the goal in the final, for example. And just kind of building on that, there was this amazing campaign at, uh, that won a Can Lion which um, was just about fantasy football. And, you know, the fact uh, in Australia there was a campaign where you were allowed to pick men and women players for your fantasy football team, and the scoring was a combination of two. And so suddenly there was a spike in interest because it wasn't like I, I chose between the women's sport, I chose between the men's sport. In my fantasy football I had players from both both kind of genders able mm. to be participating, and it was incredible. Uh, if you haven't seen the work, look it up. That's that's really interesting. I, I should just take a moment to acknowledge, you know, I'm a, a, a cis white, increasingly middle aged um, guy. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm operating from a, a certain perspective and, and privilege that we all need to do the work to, to understand and be better allies without, I think, asking too much emotional labour um, uh, of those sharing their lived experience. But um, the I'm reminded of some work we did with BETC in, in Paris uh, around gaming where quite, quite a simple campaign, but it, it's, um, or I say simple, but quite a simple insight, I should say, uh, which was to swap the, um, uh, the animations for male and female characters in gaming. And it, it kind of showed something really interesting, that there was like a level of uh, a certain framing of female characters and the way they moved in gaming, and that led to, uh, you know, some, some women and girls not necessarily feeling comfortable with gaming, right? And... What, what's interesting is like there are many, many female gamers, right? So those issues of, of not only there not being enough support for the media out there, they're just not being enough, but those issues of kind of inclusive representation. Again, you know, cis, cis white guy, right? So how do, we, how do we feel about that representation in the media? I think as a, speaking as another cis white guy, it's involving <laughs> I think women... We should, in, I think we should stop speaking now. <laughs> yeah, probably. It's involving people at the concepting of these games. I mean, we're talking, you know, for example, everybody's banging on about AI. You know, who's creating AI? It's about who is creating these these platforms, the games, the culture, the broadcasting. You know, and if it isn't representative at the top and at those creating it, then the content isn't going to be uh, representative. I think it's uh, this is a random fact that I'm pulling out of my brain from a few years ago when I did work on a game in. Um, client and I think and I'm, I'm not going to quote stacks it'll be totally made up but what they also found is that um, female avatars are more likely to get beaten up as well so if you wow. yeah so there was more violence towards female avatars um, because they were perceived as weaker potentially so not only did you have this situation where potentially you could have female designers and have more you know uh, representative feminine of any kind sort of features but you, they were more likely to be attacked in that sort of open gameplay environment and I think that's something we also need to be aware of in terms of it's not just about um, recreating 
uh, and, and creating equity sort of equity it's about realizing that there are going to be repercussions of that and how do you protect the group that you're trying to put forward and, and include more i think do you see what i mean it's not yeah. it's not as simple as more female game, like designers more female avatars job done i think we have to think about again what's out in the world and how people are interacting with that and back to your point about why content and news is so important because it shapes how people re- react and interact with each other as well even virtually or in the real, real world. Thanks, Laura. That was that was really really <laughs> interesting. It was really strong. Um, there's there's so much work to do, so much insight to share. Um, I think we could we could go longer, and maybe we will again. Um, but we're coming up for time, so we end every episode of the Meaningful Media podcast with your Meaningful Media. Fast five. So we're going to close out here. Are you ready? They're not. They're not ready. <laughs> <laughs> we're ready. We're ready. Okay, yeah. Hannah's Hannah's ready. <laughs> Hannah, I'm coming to you first. Ready? What is your meaningful media right now? Um, I re- I love a podcast, and I've just gotten into Absolutely. the media storm, um, which is telling uh, kind of stories from the lived experiences of uh, you know the the people who are part of the media topic and I think that's really fascinating get into that podcast highly recommend what's the media you start your day with definitely probably just uh, I've curated my Apple News fairly well and Ah. uh, make sure that I they get a broad perspective of different things there what media do you turn to when you're looking to get inspired oh I I'm a big follower of the Guilty Feminist podcast as well, okay. and I feel that gives me quite a lot of positive energy. Yeah. Um, what's your media guilty pleasure? I love the channels on Snapchat, uh, and I have been known to probably peruse far too much uh, celebrity entertainment in there. Interesting admission. Um, okay, you can have one media platform for the rest of your life. Which one is it and why? It would have to be one of the the independent media owners, or, or one where there's kind of uh, focus on the narrative um, from from kind of an independent perspective. So probably the Guardian or something like that. Guardian, Jake, you're up next. What's your meaningful media right now? Uh, Tediously on a podcast, I'm going to go podcast as well. So podcast, the, the new, podcasts the, are the best. best the news media. agents, I think, um, almost as good as this one. <laughs> yeah, news agents. What's the media you start your day with? Um, I'm similar to Hannah. I kind of look at you know a variety of different news sites to get an idea of what's going on. Uh, so, Guardian, BBC, Mail, Telegraph to see what the Telegraph are talking about in their anti-net zero crusade. Um, various other things. Uh, well, Telegraph, of course, um, bankrupt and about to be sold, right? So who knows? Correct. Maybe, maybe there's going to be a change in editorial direction. Um, what media do you turn to when you're looking to get inspired? Music. Because I kind of want to think. So Spotify, I listen to a lot of different sort of music on Spotify. So I therefore have time to think on a train. Human or AI curated um, playlists or have you got... Human. Yeah. I kind of pull in stuff and yeah. Interesting. Over the years. Human human curation. Mm. What's your media guilty pleasure? Uh, It's not a guilty pleasure. We've been watching Glow Up. Um, quite a lot on uh, on TV, which if you haven't noticed, uh, if you don't know, is a is a brilliant makeup sort of. It's the standard, you know, mm-hmm. uh, format, uh, but it's uh, it's genius. All 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 the family love it. It's brilliant. Well, this is an audio medium, but uh, our audience can see Jake that you've had something of a glow up yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Sweating. 
Um, okay, you've got one media platform for the rest of your life. Which one is it and why? God, that's really difficult. Um, a post-Musk Twitter. Ooh, <laughs> okay, interesting. Laura, bring us home. You ready? Oh, goodness. Yeah, go on then. Okay. What's your meaningful media? Um, podcast I love, um, From What If to What Next by Rob Hopkins, uh, which is an amazing podcast about if we actually achieve what we set out to achieve by 2030. So it's got time travel in it. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Check it out. Makes me feel very positive. Okay. Um, what's the media you start your day with? If I'm commuting to London, it'll be a podcast. If I'm at home, probably Paw Patrol. <laughs> because that's my four-year-old's choice. Uh, you say that. <laughs> get, get quite, I'm getting quite into Bluey uh, at the oh, moment. Bluey's so. good. Yeah. Bluey's really good. Yeah. The um, best export from Australia in a long time. Well, you know, since, uh, yeah. So um, what media do you turn to when you're looking to get inspired? Um, I actually, LinkedIn. I actually really like uh, an activist called Clover H. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just, well, I, again, getting out of that bubble, I do find LinkedIn is great. One for the activists um, and being called out by them, which is, you know, really insightful and, and make sure we stay on our toes. But also all the great people like Hannah that share articles and white papers. Um, follow us all on LinkedIn. We'll, we'll follow you. Um, <laughs> we'll all follow each other. It'd be great. Uh, what is your media guilty pleasure? I love Queer Eye. I think everyone in the audience does as well. Yeah, JVN. I've yeah. actually seen him live. Awesome. Um, okay, you've got one media platform for the rest of your life. Which is it and why? Um, podcasts. Yes. It had, no, but it has Undefeated. to be. Because I feel like podcasts are that currency that you have a conversation and someone recommends something. And again, it's that diversity of thought. And I just, I'm naturally quite curious. I love it. I do, podcasts all the way. Thank you so much to our guests today, Laura Wade, Hannah Misra, Jake Dubbins. This has been a special episode of the Meaningful Media Podcast live here in the Digiad stage at Madfest. Thank you to our audience. Give it up. <laughs> <laughs>